you'll please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 7. <clears throat> Psalm 7. If you need a Bible, there should be some of the chairs in front of you. And on page 449, you'll find Psalm 7. We are in a summer sermon series through the Psalms. I really have to work on that one. And we're in our seventh installment through the first 12 Psalms. It's one of the longer ones here, 17 verses. But this is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. The superscription, which is inspired scripture in Psalm 7, tells us that this is a shagan of David, which he's saying to Yahweh concerning the words of Cush, uh, Benjamite. O Yahweh, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Yahweh, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Yahweh, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. Yahweh judges the peoples. Judge me, O Yahweh, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischiefs and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give thanks to Yahweh, the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh, the Most High. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we need your spirit to be the teacher to us right now, to help us understand and apply these words, these holy words from your mouth. Lord, teach us the truth in them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Most of us are typically scared for lions. We see lions in zoos, we see lions on TVs. But if we were to encounter them out in, in the wild, we would not want to mess with them. They are very regal and stately creatures, but somehow they've become domesticated. They've made their way into commercials, and they're just cute little cuddly animals, but they're not. <laughs> they're ferocious. They're apex predators. 
And so here, King David, as he wrote this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit, he describes his predicament, the, the trouble that he's in, his struggle in life feels like a lion pursuing him, trying to tear him apart. I mean, this is pretty intense stuff that's going on here. The trouble that he is in is so intimate, it feels like a lion is already at his back, ripping into his flesh, and there's no way that he can escape the clutches of this lion. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like life is so hard, so intense, that the pressure that is facing you, the struggle that you're in, the spiritual warfare that you are daily experiencing is so intense, so troublesome that it feels like a lion pursuing you? This is often the way, this is in the way in the New Testament the scriptures describe the attacks of Satan. He's like a roaring lion looking for victims to, to devour. Do you, does life ever feel this way to you? This was the situation that King David found himself in with this Cush fella. We don't know anything really about this scene. That's, the rest of the scriptures are, are silent. But we know here at the beginning of Psalm 7, we uh, have described for us that David was in a, predic- a predicament with Cush, seeking to overtake David, possibly overtake David's throne. And it was so serious, it was so stressful, it was so uh, consuming to, to David that he wrote a, a psalm about it to describe his stress and the deliverance that God would bring. Some scholars speculate that perhaps Cush being from the tribe of Benjamin, was also a relative of Saul, the first king of Israel. And he wanted to get back at David for taking over his relative's kingdom. But whatever it was, whatever was going on here, it had King David in deep distress. And so how would David deal with his problem? How would he face the pressure that had him in dire straits? Well, I know what I would have done if I was King David. I would have rallied my troops. I would have got my chariots. I would have got my fighting men, and I would have just taken care of the problem or just sat there and ate grapes and had somebody else go take care of the problem. But what does David do? He goes directly to Yahweh God, the Lord his God, and he seeks help from God directly. He says, in you do I take refuge, his refuge, his protection, his shield was in God alone. That is how David's salvation would come. That is where he would go in his troubles. He would seek out the mighty fortress that his God was. What about you? Where will you go? Or where do you go in times of distress and trouble? Where are you running right now every time that that stress, that anxiety wells up into you with whatever is going on in your life right now? Where do you go to deal with trouble, with suffering, with, with persecution? What is your refuge? This is where Psalm 7 can be of great service to us in the Christian life. 
This is why the Psalms are there for us to help us. Specifically, Psalm 7 can be a great help to you to teach us to cry out to God in our worry and in our distress and in spiritual warfare that we may be experiencing. So much so that we cry out to God and we see that He is the righteous judge. He is the one who will bring judgment on our enemies and on our troubles. So in a sense, here in Psalm 7, very strangely, we're being taught how to pray for judgment. That's not something that makes its way into my prayer life very often. I don't know about you, but here we see David praying for judgment. But we'll see that this psalm actually teaches us how to do that. And so let's work our way through it as much as we can with these big 17 verses. But the first five verses have to do with teaching us this principle. This principle that was chiefly taught to us by our Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Again, this is one of the teachings that our Lord Jesus had in his great Sermon on the Mount. And what this teaching shows us that We can't pray for judgment on others unless we first see the sin in our own lives. And so this is what is modeled for us here in this psalm, especially in verses 3 through 5. Notice the if-then argument that David uses in those verses. Look there with me in verses 3 through 5. Oh, Yahweh, and by the way, we're the capital L-O-R day, that's the proper name of God, Yahweh God. He says, if I've done this, again, we don't know what this is, but obviously Cush is making a big stink about something and accusing David of something intense here and something bringing about great distress and worry in his life. And so he says, God, if I've done this, if I've done wrong, if I have hurt my friend, if I have been like an enemy to him, if... I have sinned in in the way that I'm being accused. What does David say? Then let me be judged and let me be judged harshly. Now that's pretty, pretty confident way to address a situation you may find yourself in, right? I mean, to say, I don't know what I've done, but if I've done what I've been accused of, let me have it. That's not the way I deal with my problems. I'm, I lawyer up, you know. <laughs> not me. <laughs> I don't know what that person is thinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight. <laughs> but David here says, Lord, ju- judge me if I've done this. I think it's amazing that David would pray this way. That he would approach the trouble and suffering in his life in this way. And what about us? I mean... Do we approach our problems that way? It's one of the most important things we need to do in the Christian life, and we're going to talk about that more here in a minute, about repentance. But oftentimes we're frustrated, we're we're angry, we're upset with someone, and what do we start doing? We, We accuse them, and we play over and over in our mind how they've wronged us, how we are the righteous one in this situation, when what does... God's word call us to do? What does the Spirit call us to do? It calls us to first look in the mirror and see our own sin and our own selfishness. It's one of the great principles of dealing with conflict in marriage is before you start accusing your spouse of the wrong they've done, you first 
Lord, I, I know that I brought my sin and my trouble into this situation. We're all in need of forgiveness, and we all bring sin into the equation. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to live the Christian life. This is what it means to live in community with brothers and sisters is to first realize that we are sinners, and we bring our own sin into the situations and predicaments that we find ourselves in. And so before you pray to God to judge your enemies, before you pray to God to bring justice on the predicament that you find yourself in and ask the Lord to fix your problems, we need to do as John Newton so eloquently said one time. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Isn't that a wonderful reminder? And that is what we do here, the first part, is we understand about praying for judgment. Is we realize first and foremost that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And we bring sin into the situation well before we should pray for judgment. But that's what he does in the next part here, in verses 6 through 11. We see David praying for judgment, for justice. And he shows us exactly how to do it. And the thing that we're taught about justice in the psalm and really in the whole Bible it is that it is Yahweh God who is the one who brings about justice because he is the righteous judge. That is the principle illustrated for us here. There is only one righteous and almighty judge, and that is Yahweh God. He is the one who renders justice. And that is why here uh, the summary of this prayer could be uh, of David, O oh, oh righteous God, O oh righteous judge, arise and judge the wicked, is how David calls and prays for judgment. This is serious business. This is not fluffy Christian stuff. You know, would you ever see that on like a calendar at Lifeway? You know, arise, O oh God, and judge your enemies. You know, no, that's not what you would buy for your friend. <laughs> But here is the truth that we need to understand, that we need to read, that we need to under, meditate on. Oftentimes, in the Old Testament, God is asked to render judgment on his enemies. And it has to do, when God is, is called upon to render judgment, we need to understand kind of with our modern eyes what the Old Testament teaches here, that that's really a way of praying for salvation, for deliverance. This is part of the grand narrative of the whole scriptures, the redemption of God's people from all their enemies. Sometimes it was the Egyptians, sometimes it was the Assyrians, maybe it was the Romans, Satan himself. God bring justice and judgment upon the enemies of God to show that he is the righteous judge, that he is the good God. And so we have here a prayer for God to judge David's enemies. And in this prayer, we were, we were reminded something that we don't really like to talk about. It's something that we sometimes want to gloss over in Scripture. And that is the fact that there is a judgment. There is and will be a final judgment. And there will be a judge, a righteous judge, at that final judgment. And we will all be judged, every one of us. There will be a final judgment. The Lord Jesus details this out for us in Matthew chapter 25. And in this righteous judgment, the righteous and the wicked will be separated. 
And there is an almighty judge who is there, who is righteous, who is high, who is lifted over all the peoples of the earth. We see explained here in Psalm 7, it says he he fills indignation, this righteous, white, hot anger against sin and evil and wickedness. He's high and lifted up over all the peoples, and his righteous anger is coming down on evil and sin. And everyone will be judged. No one will escape the judgment of God. But the question that we must deal with right now, the question that is for all of us, is when we one day stand before the one, the righteous judge, who the scriptures say judges the minds and hearts of the people, what will be your defense when your sin is brought against you and brought condemnation toward you? What will be your defense when you are declared guilty because of your sin? I know what I want to say. And I know what the scriptures teach us to say. We say, oh Lord, you are a righteous judge. But I thank you that the Lord Jesus, he gave me his righteousness. He was judged for my sin. And so, Lord, I stand before you right now a guilty sinner but righteous because of what your son has done, not because of what I have done. You know, that's our only hope in judgment. We're all guilty of sin and evil and wickedness. But Jesus is our great hope. He saves us from the judgment. But back briefly here to David's predicament. He's being unjustly accused in his mind. And so he prays for judgment on his enemies. And so we learn that when life doesn't seem fair, when the bad guys seem to be winning all the time, when the way of the righteous doesn't seem right, where can we turn for hope? Where can we turn to see good in this? This is where the doctrine of God's judgment comes into play. Instead of bemoaning the idea over and over in his head that the good guys never catch a break, David practices good theology here. He reminds himself that God is a just God who judges rightly, that he will bring justice on the wicked in his time. And it's a great reminder that our prayer, our prayer for judgment, for justice, should conform to the divine will of God, not to our will. We pray that God will work all things out in his good timing, not ours. God is the righteous judge, not us. What a sobering thing to pray. Oh, Lord, bring judgment on your enemies and my enemies. But in your time, oh, Lord, not mine. So then the last part here, we see how judgment works. Look at verses 12 through 16. Now, these are quite honestly verses that we could all do without. They don't tickle our modern ears. They're a great reminder, though, to us that salvation is messy. Salvation is messy. They're a reminder that God will judge sin and that he is serious about it. So serious, we've got this battle language described for us here. God is wetting his sword that means he's sharpening it getting it ready to do judgment he's got his bow bent and readied with 
fiery uh, uh, arrows. This is hard to read. It's hard to make sense of. And some of us would even say, you know, this is why I don't really spend much time in the Old Testament. Let's turn to the New Testament where we can find nicer, softer stuff. But go read Revelation 19. And in Revelation 19, you'll see the same thing. You'll see a righteous Savior coming to judge the nations who will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. God is serious about judgment. And here's a picture of Yahweh God as a warrior coming to execute justice. But notice how David describes the judgment of God being rendered on the wicked. This is interesting. Look in verses 14 through 16. Catch this. The judgment of God is brought on the enemies of God's people, not at this time by him striking them down with his sword, nor him firing his arrows at them. What does he do? He lets their own mischief, their own violence destroy them. You've heard the expression, you're just digging your own grave. That's where this comes from, here in the scriptures. This is what evil and wickedness does. If God just leaves us to our own wickedness and evil, it, it carries with it its own destruction, its own demise. And so oftentimes we find in Scripture and certainly in life that the way God judges the wicked is by letting their own wickedness destroy them. This is how judgment often works. So with ourselves, we certainly need to repent. Lord, I confess to you that I am wicked and evil and sin all the time. And certainly we call others to repent. Turn from your ways. Turn from resisting God. Turn to God, not away from him. Turn from sin and turn to God who is righteous and who all his ways are righteous. God uses trouble and suffering. I think that's another big application that we need to take from this Psalm 7. Why is Psalm 7 here for us? What's the application for us today? We see here that it was certainly a great help and aid to David in his time of trouble when he was at odds with this Cush fella. But so should we be reminded that in our times of trouble, God is a shield. That he's a righteous judge. And that he will bring about judgment in his good timing. And when all is said and done, we can join the chorus of verse 17. I am so glad that verse 17 is in Psalm 7. Look how good that is. I will give to Yahweh the thanks to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh the Most High. It's like the rest of this psalm would have been kind of mumbled. I don't really want to sing that. When we get to the chorus, let's sing loud. We all, we all know this chorus. Let's sing this chorus. This chorus is a great sigh of relief. Because all that judgment stuff was getting very serious. But here we see this great reminder that all praise is due to Yahweh God. Because it is His righteousness and His name that is great. And so verse 17 is a reminder that when God has brought salvation to us and for us, we are to thank him 
We are to praise Him. We are to sing. Is that not, not why we're here today? Is that not what this table before us reminds us of? That the righteous judge has executed his righteous judgment by sending his one and only son to die for our sins. We have been spared because Christ was delivered over to death for our sins. And we have been set free from the power of sin and death. And so we give thanks to the Lord for the righteousness he has given us in Christ. And we sing praise to his holy name, for he is good and does good. Let's pray. Our Father, we read these words in your holy word, and we confess that they make us uncomfortable at times as we read about your judgment and even what it means to pray for judgment on our enemies. Lord, we know that our greatest struggle, our greatest problem is not flesh and blood, but the struggle in the spiritual realm with sin and evil. We thank you that you have brought salvation and deliverance over the most powerful enemy, that of sin and death, by sending your one and only Son to be judged for us. We praise you and thank you, O righteous judge, that you have delivered us. O Lord, you are our shield. You are our mighty fortress. You are our rock. We give thanks and praise to your name, the Most High. Amen.